This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is multi-percussionist, drummer, educator, and composer Clifford Kaufman. Clifford is a Nashville-based, award-winning drummer who founded Sound and Rhythm Drumming School in 2000. With over 20 years of experience, Clifford carries a world of experience to every scenario, whether creating music, performing, or teaching. He's honored to be the recipient of multiple grants, the Thrive Award to build community through community drumming classes, performances, and drum circles, as well as the Regional Arts and Culture Council Professional Development Grant to study music in Guinea, West Africa. He's toured internationally throughout the U.S. and in Alaska. Clifford has spent time living and learning from master musicians in Ghana and Guinea and West Africa and has performed, taught, and worked with thousands of people, as well as working with numerous bands, songwriters, and composers throughout the United States. In an effort to share his musical experience and inspiration, he began Cliff Chats, where he has conducted over 60 interviews of creative people at the top of their fields. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So Clifford and I actually met uh, some years ago, early in the podcast, he reached out to me and told me about some interviews he had done with like Bob Moses, Johnny Badakovich, and just didn't know what to do with them. And we were toying with the idea of offering them uh, to Patreon members or doing different things like that. And we never really did anything more than discuss some ideas. And then I think he just took it upon himself to publish those and produce those. So if you go to Cliff Chats, you search that on YouTube, you can find some of these great interviews. And the cool thing about this is Not only is he interviewing drummers, but he's interviewing other people, non-musicians, like authors and, you know, composers and other non-musicians. So it's really fascinating. So check that out, Cliff Chats. Um, You can find that on YouTube. But uh, it was really great to finally uh, get together with him and have this discussion about some of the unique experiences musically and educationally that he's bringing to this music city here. So... I hope you enjoy my conversation with Clifford Kaufman. We're doing a Zoom call mm. for those that are listening to this. Your video looks great. What what has gone into creating this? So if you're creating video content, it has to look good, it has to sound good, it has to look good. How do you do things that stand out from everyone else? And you're doing it in such a way that it's like, man, how do you do that? It looks really good. Oh, thank you. Um, well, it's been a lot. It's basically before Plenty of sleep. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I get my sleep. Uh, my sleep is a, is a priority. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the video, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. uh, we can talk about sleep too, but, um, uh, <laughs> the, um, okay. So, so before the pandemic, so, so I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. I, I moved to Nashville six years ago from Portland, Oregon, and, and I brought, um, I, I was doing a lot of teaching there and, and playing, doing freelance playing. Um, and when I moved, I told my students that I was moving and offered them, well, I think I offered them, you know, if you want to try a zoom lesson, I'll, I'll do one, no charge. And then, um, actually it wasn't zoom, sorry. It was Skype. Uh, and, and so anyway, so I, I brought some of my students with me. So when I moved to Nashville, I, I still had some students, uh, and you know, I was just doing it on a laptop with the camera and the microphone built in. Um, and when the pandemic started, so basically March, you know, March or April of 2020, I, um, I started doing research on how can, how can I make this better? Um, and yeah, I just felt, I felt the need to, to up it a little bit and started, you know, posted a question, I think on Facebook and got a response. Someone, someone said, you need to do your lighting first. And nice. so I got, I got a light, I, you know, I kind of did some research, found a light and it did not look, it didn't look good. <laughs> it didn't, and, uh, and I already had an audio, you know, I already had an audio interface. So I was using that, you know, I have, I have, um, a few interfaces I use. I have an Apogee. Um, I was using, I think a duet and then eventually I got a quartet. So they're kind of older Apogee interfaces, but they're, they're nice interfaces. Uh, um, Anyway, so then, you know, start finding out about cameras and then, okay, and then you have to get into your computer and all mm. this. And then there's, you know, so there's, you know, there's a car, there's a something you can plug into your camera and then, okay, so if you have a webcam, the picture's not quite as good as if you have a mirrorless camera, like a legit camera for taking photos. So then it's, okay, what kind of cables do you have? So it's just a lot of trial and error. Um and, um, I was in this really small room, in my house and eventually moved to the, a bigger room. And so having some, not being right up against the wall, having some room to have the wall behind me creates more of a, I think an atmosphere. I have a, col- a light that I can change the colors that I have on the wall. And I have some sound yeah, panels back yeah. there, some drums, a bookshelf, um, plant, you know, so just kind of trying to create a little bit of a vibe, um, and then I have a camera right at my desk, um, and I have an overhead camera. Um, let's see, up, oh, it's not, it must not be on, it's not on. Um, I've seen that in the videos that you do, especially when you're demonstrating hand drum patterns and different things like that. It's that, that top-down camera is really great. Yeah, and for some reason it's not, anyway, it's not hooked up right now. But, uh, but I have also, so, so you know, a lot of, a lot of just research. Um, there's a great, great YouTube um, resource this, uh, called DSLR video shooter. I think, um, this guy is very, very into kind of the, the, the technology kind of nerdy about it in a, in a really good way that, um, so, so I definitely took a lot of information from him. Um, and I had, I, you know, I ended up getting a video switcher so I can, I can switch and I, and I've noticed, you know, everybody's using these video switchers, the ATEM mini pro by black magic or, or there's other versions of it. Um, that's what I have, but I know, you know, Peter Erskine, um, uh, I just checked out a drum technology 
workshop with the Sabian th- th- master classes they're offering. Uh, a- anyway, so so we we could talk the whole time about this, but but just um, um, you know, just kind of continually trying to make little improvements. Um, but I'll just give a kind of rundown of what I'm using. So I have so I have a late 2000 Mac Mini, um, a Apogee Quartet, Black Magic ATEM Mini Pro Switcher. I have a teleprompter um, where my camera's behind it, so I can look right at the at that if I need to. And I have an overhead cam, which is a Sony uh, FDRX. I'm reading it something, and then I have a Sony um, A5100 camera. Um, you know, there's newer and nicer things, but I've just found what works. And then, um, and so yeah, so so the idea is to create you know just a nice experience for people online. And so I'm still you know I'm still it's constantly figuring out some things and messing you, with. You, it. you think about like all the things that this now applies to in the way we make a living as a musician and if you're not interested in creating content think about its application as an educator mm-hmm. uh, as someone that is doing uh, remote work um, again like through teaching or recording just the just the overall communication the ability to communicate uh, clearly and concise with clients students different people like that i mean this is you know, this is kind of the new way that um, we balance many different things to carve out a living absolutely you know, as, as musicians. So I can see where uh, having a quality video would be good because there's been other uh, apps that I've used. Uh, there's a producer I work with regularly, and we use, um, let me find it real quick here, uh, Marco Polo. What do you do with that? It, so it's basically you can leave a video message on there, and it's not like sending a video through a uh, through a text or an email. It doesn't. It lives in a cloud. It's a cloud based uh-huh. video sharing thing. So uh, I've been using that with a couple different songwriters and clients that I work with remotely, so that it's it's like, hey, for this song, here's what we're thinking about. We're doing this, and then I can jump on there and say, hey, listen, man, I'm using this. It's you know, it's it's not in real time. We're not doing like a FaceTime thing, but that's been that's been really helpful for them. Uh, you know, when they're able to leave that, and then I can go back and I can listen to it. And sometimes they're sharing videos and say, okay, here's the groove, and they're singing it or mm. they're doing this and that. That form of communication has been has been interesting. So and powerful and effective. Um, well, tell me about Seattle, man. Did you po- did Portland? You grow up Portland. There? I'm yeah. sorry, Portland. No worries. Uh, I, I moved to Portland, Oregon after college. Um, I moved there in '98, uh, which some people might. It's arguably it was kind of a golden golden time for for yeah. Portland. <laughs> you know, things were not crazy expensive. It wasn't the the city everyone was moving to that it was for a while. And uh, you know, so there were a lot of there there was people could do creative endeavors maybe more easily in, than some places because it was affordable. Um, you know, so you didn't have to make a ton of money to be able to do what you're doing. And also, um, it's, it, yeah, people are really supportive of the arts there, I'd say. Um, so I moved there in 98 and was and lived there until 2016 and moved to Nashville in 2016. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, and where are you originally from? Uh, well, I'm from the Northeast, born in Hartford, lived in um, Boston until I was about four, and then my family moved to the South, moved to uh, North Carolina, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, 
and I grew up there. And so I moved um, from Winston-Salem to Portland um, in, when I was about in my early 20s. So, so moving back down to the South, this isn't new for you. This isn't like, this isn't a culture shock in, in the no. same sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a familiarity to it. Um, I never thought I would live in the South again. I, you know, I had, I had some dreams of at some point living in, you know, one of the big cities like New York or LA. Um, but I always kind of thought Nashville could be a place because the proximity to my family. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I had, I had, a mentor teacher who thought Nashville would be a good place for me and started doing some research and um, yeah, been here for six years and love it. I've been here since uh, 2000. So you've seen all kinds of changes. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's to me, it's the best place I could be right now for, or for a musician in general. It's, you know, there, people might have some ideas what they think it is, but it's really, there's a lot of openness and there's a lot of creative things happening. It, it's, um, yeah. Anyway, I've, I've had really good experiences that, you know, I've, I've really made a point of really surrounding, you know, people who I've, I hang out with are, they're just super supportive and encouraging. And I've just found the scene to, here to be really, um, yeah, just to be that. Well, I think that's what's, that's what's exciting for me to have you on because of the different type of uh, music that you do, the type of teaching, just your experience in what people would be surprised to find out as someone who has chosen Nashville to live and work in. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to give people an idea of what you do, um, I'd like to start with just your time studying abroad. I mean, I, I, I find that fascinating. What motivated you to do that? What was that experience like? Yeah. Uh, what was the takeaway? So you were in uh, Guinea and, and Ghana? Yeah. In, in yeah. West Africa? Yeah. So so um, when I was in college, I played in a jam band and I played drum set in the band. And we would start, you know, it was like a, you know, hippie, hippie sort of jam band. Um, we would play, we play a few covers, we play some originals, you know, we play some Grateful Dead covers. We'd, um, I don't remember what been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we would start some songs, you know, all playing percussion and then move to instruments and that sort of thing. And, um, so there were two guys kind of, kind of in and out of the band who were playing percussion, like, like just hand, hand percussion, mostly, you know, congas or djembe. And, uh, and so th- this is in, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, in a town just over from Winston, Greensboro, they have had they had some African drum drumming going on for a while, and so I went with a friend, one of these percussionists, over to Greensboro to check out, you know, class. Um, the the, the drummer from Guinea, I believe, is uh, Mohamed De Costa, and you know, I'd never seen anything like it. I, I there were you know big there was a big circle of people playing djembe drums, but then there were people playing dununs, which are the if you're not familiar, they're, they're bass drums and, and the, the, um, traditional ensemble, like Hamana style from Hamana part of Guinea. Um, there's a, there's a small drum with a bell on top. One person's playing with their left hand, typically on the bell, their right hand on the drum. And, and then they'd either hit the drum and bounce off of it or press into it. Um, and so that, so there's a small drum, then another player would be playing a middle drum bell on top playing the, 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 the head. And these are two sided drums, um, like a bass drum, and then there's a big one. Um, so you have the you have the the smallest, the kankanee, the the middle ones, the sangban, and the large ones, the dunumba. Um, and so, what the first thing that that struck me about it was that they were playing with their left hand on the bell. 
Um, and I, and I, and I thought, okay, their left hand's doing the active, what we usually do as a right hand player with our right hand, you know, with our right hand, but they're playing it with their left hand. And so my thought, my thought was, oh, this would be really good for me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, right, right. To, to have to have your left be active like that and be being doing what we often would do with the right. Like if you naturally, if you didn't see someone playing with your left, you probably would have your right hand be on, on the bell. Um, so, so anyway, so, um, but also, also as I learned more about it, you know, I didn't really at that time learn a lot about it, but I, I decided I wanted to get a djembe because I like the portable nature of it. You know, I've played drum set and I mean, not that the drum set's not portable, but a djembe, you can just carry, take it out of the bag and play. Um, right. There's no setting up. Uh, so I was, my brother lived in New Orleans at the time. So I got the, this djembe and there's a whole another story about getting the djembe. But anyway, so I, so I'm going to, let's see, I'll go for, move forward. Uh, so, so when I moved to Portland, I was just, I was looking for any sort of job and I went to a music store and uh, it was a good, it was a stringed instrument shop. And they were like, well, you know, you might want to check down the street. This, this, this drummer from Ghana just opened up a shop. You should check with him. And so I went to his shop and, uh, and his name is Ni Ardia Latte and it's a Nanzi beat in Portland, Oregon. Um, he's a dancer drummer from Ghana. Um, and he said, oh, I'm not hiring. Um, but he had a CD and I bought a CD. And I think he said, you know, I teach classes. And so um, I listened to a CD and I, I'd never really heard anything like that. When you have this polyrhythmic music, you have all these parts, that, you know, percussion instruments, but it's melodic. They're, they are all fitting. There's high sounds and low sounds and middle sounds right. and, and right. different timbres and all these different textures that are fitting together to create this tapestry of sound and so anyway so i started taking classes with him and uh he he then suggested that i come to play for his dance class uh and i mean that was a huge learning experience but i was also meeting all these people from ghana and making you know new friends and i was getting this great cultural experience in portland oregon you know um and and so i wanted to travel there and see you know what 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 is it like there what and I had some friends who had traveled there and I was dreaming about traveling there. And basically I was gifted the frequent flyer miles to travel there. And That's amazing. And I just, uh, I had this loose agenda. Um, I was there just about a month and I, I, you know, I tried to email some people and I was in contact with some people, but basically I just went to the places where I was told there are these teachers and, uh, and some, some I discovered on my own as well. Um, and I just traveled on my own for a month uh, in Ghana, um, you know, with a loose plan. But but a lot of it was just just kind of finding my way. And um, were any of the teachers expecting you, or were you just showing up? Well, <laughs> they they were. Um, yeah, maybe. So one of the teachers I was emailing with was in Accra, in the capital city. Um, he was in a suburb called Osu of of Accra, um, and he. So I emailed him and we emailed back and forth, but I don't think we had an exact time or date how we were going to meet. And I didn't know exactly where he was. Um, and so there were, there was these funny coincidences. So I, uh, I was supposed to, I had a, a, a Ghanaian teacher, a different teacher, a man named Chada Adi, who later on I ended up playing in his band, um, playing drum set in his band many years later. But, but anyway, he, um, he said, oh, you can stay with my family. 
And so I had a phone number and I get, I get to, you know, I get outside the airport and there's a big barrier between like the taxi drivers and the people getting off, you know, getting arriving. And I call this number and it's like, uh, I have no idea what you just said. Uh, You know, so I, I, uh, what is the language? What is the language? Um, they they were speaking Ga, and I know a few words in Ga, but but I mean, um, yeah, they were speaking Ga. I'm pretty sure because because Chata was Ga. Um, but anyway, I I didn't have a place to stay. I thought I had a place to stay, and I didn't. So <laughs> so I chose. I just look. I had a guidebook, and I just like okay, what's a mid level hotel? I don't want to spend all my money, but I don't want the my first night. I don't want the cheapest, most inexpensive hotel. Um, yeah. so I, I chose, I, all these taxi drivers are around me and we're reading this guidebook. I'm trying to show them by the headlights and one of them turns the car on and it runs over my foot. <laughs> um, oh my I, I'm taking the long version of this story, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, luckily I pulled my foot back and it didn't really hurt me. But anyway, so this, this start, you know, so I finally were going there to this hotel and people are all in the streets and, you know, the traffic lights mean nothing and, I get this hotel, it feels run down and just, I'm just like, ah, oh, but I, you know, and I think, I don't remember if there was a mosquito, if there was a mosquito net up or not, but I either put one up. I, I ended up sleeping the night and they had like a breakfast on the roof. Uh, and so the next morning I go up for this breakfast on the roof and it turns out the breakfast on the roof is Nest Cafe, which is like, if I remember correctly, it's just like powdered, is it powdered coffee? And there was, I think there was a couple up there at another table and, you know, when traveling, I like to meet people. And so I decided to walk over to the, to the couple that was, you know, sitting up, up on this roof. Um, you know, there were tables and chairs. Uh, and so I walked to them and this woman, it was a woman and a man. She, she immediately points at my shirt. I had a Mount Hood community college shirt on, I think. And she's like, uh, Mount Hood. And I looked at her you worked at this coffee shop that I would go to. So, oh my gosh. So I know I'm taking a long way around to this. <laughs> yeah. Interesting though. But That's so, crazy. so anyway, she had been to Ghana before she was studying beads and this was her second time, but she was familiar. I think she'd spent a good bit of time there and I believe her name is Amanda. I wonder if I could find her, but anyway, um, she became my tour guide for a few days. It was, she was there with her brother. Um, and, she took me to this area, Osu, where where one of my teachers would be, and I asked the shop, you know, owner somewhere, you know, where's this guy? And then next thing I know, there he is, Niaja. Uh, he says, "I've been looking for you." And oh <laughs> so there's just there were some funny things like that. So you know, he was one of my one of my primary teachers, and I ended up living at his place. Um, this kind of round um, structure on the water. Um, it was beautiful and dirty all at the same time. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so I traveled around, I I went up to Tamale, up to Northern Ghana. Um, I went to, went to the, near the, the border of Togo, um, and studied Elway drumming, which is a stick, stick drumming. One thing I loved about the Elway drumming and, and I have not really kept up the studies of this, but but there's a lot of times where the the lead drum is a low drum, but also it, it'll call, it'll call and make changes happen to the other drums. So you know, in polyrhythmic polyrhythmic music like this, 
most parts are playing an ostinato that's not changing. There's there there might be some variation, but but most likely not. Um, so this one, the 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 boba, the big drum was calling the the changes, and then but then at some point the sogo, and I might be getting it's been so long. I think that's right, but anyway, the 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 second highest drum would call some changes. So they're communicating, and so you know I found anyway I found the music to be fascinating and also just opened up my ear opened up my ears to well let me ask you were, were these were you just like coming to these uh, performances were they open to other participants was were there was there a structure in some class and was there structure in some of the uh instruction or yeah i, w- uh, I was hiring teachers you know i was basically okay. uh hiring teachers to, you know, to study with them, you know, so the place where I studied Elway drumming was a place called the Dog Bay Center. Um, Berkeley School of Music has had a relationship with them for many years. Okay. I think, I think through David Locke, um, who was at Tufts. Mm. Um, And my friends, anyway, my friends in Portland had went to Tufts and had studied with him. Um, So, um, yeah, so I had some structure like that. When I went to the North, I, I was told Abubakar Luna, and so I asked the taxi driver, he said, oh, he's related to me. And he took me to see, you know, to Abubakar Luna's house, but he was sick and I ended up, you know, um, staying at his house and, and, and his son took me to the village, Talon, to uh, That's, a, that's to amazing. And, and it, I, I'm just kind of curious for, you know, someone that is maybe interested in some type of thing like this or traveling or, you know, new experience like because you did this, what, what what year was this that you um, did there? So I went to Ghana in 2005. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I'm really interested in something like this. It's 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like there are, you know, now that things are, traveling is somewhat open. Yeah. For the most part, you know, if there's opportunities to do that again. Yeah. I mean, you could do, like, I did but also i mean there there are organized programs like like i mm-hmm. said you know through berkeley you could look at what you know what they're doing um you know there's there's definitely i i had an amazing cultural experience I, I always say that that month was was equal to four years of college uh it was just you know the learning i mean it wasn't just about music it was it was right, right. you know the living with families and and seeing mm-hmm. how they're living and seeing how resourceful people were and um you know like like uh one i was i w- and went to a town called here's another coincidence crocrobite it's like a, another kind of like 30 minutes an hour from from accra um there's a music school there the ama i think i think it's the african academy of african music or something like that i might have that wrong but anyway there's a famous drummer mustafa adi who was connected with obo adi and chata adi chata adi who i actually ended up playing with obo adi as well obo adi was a great ghanaian percussionist one of the first to bring the music outside of of ghana um but anyway uh, so i went where this music school was and it's kind of a touristy town um not a big town, but I ended up having to walk to the down the, the really the only road to get to the school, and a bunch of people are walking, and I look to my right and I see a guy that looks like Chata Adi, and so we start talking, and it turns out it's Chata Adi's half brother, and his his name is Odamete, and we became great friends. Uh, so I mean, just these funny coincidences. Um, and so did the cultural experience, I mean, there were times where nobody spoke any English and I'm hearing God and I started to feel like I could understand it, even though all I, all I remember is 
Oyuwadon and Toyote. <laughs> and I'm, I might mix up one is hello and the other one is thank you. I think, uh, I think Obu, Obu, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so keep referring to a lot of these things as coincidences, but it, I mean, it, it, I feel like you put yourself out there from just the very simple of approaching other people and wanting to meet people, just kind of opening yourself to the universe to these kind of changes. So, yeah, yeah, I get that. Like we see these as coincidences, but I also feel like you're really putting yourself out there to receive these experiences. Yeah. And, and I put myself out there into some situations that were not the best as well. And I, I don't, <laughs> you don't have to get into this, <laughs> but, but luckily I, you know, I, I, I survived the trip and had an amazing experience. Um, so also my, my, my primary teacher, so that's all music from Ghana. Uh, but I then started, I started focusing around 2005, 2006 on music from Guinea or Malenke people. And my, my primary teacher was Mamadi Keita. He, he would come through Portland, um, about once a year. Uh, and so I think 2000 or two, 2000, I think was my first time studying with him. And, um, so anyway, I eventually traveled to Guinea. I, I, I received a grant from the Regional Arts and Culture Council and, um, and traveled to Guinea for his stage, for his, his, you know, it was three weeks with him every day. Um, and, it, but I got there early and ended up also staying with a drummer named Kumbana Conde. Uh, and yeah, so, so that was the drums with the bells and the, the, the bass drums. And mm-hmm. so the dununs, the djembe, so if you go to a drum circle, it's different than culturally specific rhythms where there it's very organized. There's specific parts. Every drum has a part. Every rhythm has a story or reason why it's played. Um, you know, it's, there, it's not just let's have fun. I mean, though, I mean, it, joy is definitely a big part of it as well. Um, but then there's also improvisation. So there's form, there's structure, but there's improvisation. Um, you know, the lead djembe and the, the, the dunumba, and, they, and they're interacting usually with a dancer and they're singing in songs and they're, uh, they're you know, there are other, there's stringed instruments, there are mallet instruments. They're, you know, so it's, it's rich, deep music that goes back hundreds of years. Uh, so just like the classical European, you know, traditions, there's a, there's a long tradition there and it's an oral or oral tradition so that also got me out of out of the reading aspect and into the just the being you know uh, a listener yeah well what was your what was your thought process when you went into this thinking okay when I go through this when I have this experience at the end of it when I go back to the states what's the next thing what were you thinking you would take from this whole experience well i i was i was already teaching that whole time and so you know i, I started teaching right around 2000 uh and so this just, is the sound and rhythm drumming school y- that you had started yes yes mm-hmm. and uh and I, I don't i don't even i maybe i had that name then but 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 anyway i uh i i wanted i was i was thirsty for more information i sure. i wanted to you know I wanted to understand more and, and also I just love the music. Um, and so I would teach what I learned. I mean, I recorded everything. I have, I have tons of recordings that I still need to go through. I mean, I have, I probably have, I don't know how many hours, but you know, over a hundred hours of record, probably two, 300 hours of recordings, um, maybe more. Um, and so, yeah, so I would, uh, I would go back and teach it, which was awesome because then I would, you know, I would retain it and remember it. Um, this is, yeah. 
So, so this is interesting. Uh, there's an article you did a few years ago in the Nashville Music Magazine, uh, and there's a quote from you. It says, when I teach, not only do I pass the knowledge and music on so that it will live, but I get a deeper understanding about what I teach. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a very obvious thing. People always say when you teach, you learn so much. But it's a good reminder that when you teach, man, you, you really retain a lot of that information internally because you have to describe it. You have to be the vessel to share this information. So you have to have a good understanding. Yeah, you have to figure out ways of like of conveying that information and, and different people understand differently. And so it's really forced me to approach it from all the angles I can think of. And um, also, I don't know where this is from, but I've heard the whole cycle of music isn't complete until you share it, you know, not just sharing oh, yeah. the making of it, but, but you're sharing the knowledge of it. And, um, and it's taken me many years to, uh, to get comfort. You know, my, my first, my first African teacher was very protective of the knowledge and I think it was a detriment in some ways. Um, you know, so, so when I, when I started studying with Mamani Keita, what struck me was how professorial he was and, and how he had such a, pedagogy and approach that was very structured and and um and that he was he he gave it all he wasn't withholding any information mm-hmm. he wanted he wanted people to share in his culture he wanted his culture to live on and so uh yeah he just he just gave i mean i everything i mean i, I watched him create rhythms so many times also where where he's creating everything right in front of you and and it was it was just it was just about the joy of 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 creating and playing. I, I'd love to ask you some questions about your teaching pursuits. Sure. Uh, did you know that that's something that you wanted to do that was going to be a component of your music career? Yeah, I think I think it just had to do with I knew that I wanted to be playing the drums as much as possible, and <laughs> you know, I, and making music as much as possible, and it just seemed like the way to make a living like to actually make some money in the short not the short term because you know it's not like I just started out with a ton of students um so yeah y- you know I-, I definitely always made more money from teaching than I have from playing um but also it's given me some some freedom to not I, I- I've mostly been able to do the sort of gigs that I want to do um you know right. play with people you know my my goal like my goal here in Nashville was to connect with people you know just just real connections and not not because they are doing this or that to really um you know play music with people i really want to be around and you know not and also love playing with uh and so um yeah anyway that was that was my aim for and so but, but teaching you know if if you're if you're just having to do every gig like as you know you know drummers playing on broadway i i admire them and i love the idea of playing so regularly and um, but, but, you know, they're, they're most often playing covers of some sort or another, mm-hmm. and that's a great education too. And that's something that I would actually, I've done some of that, but I, but it's not, I, I feel like that's something that I could do a lot more of for, for my own growth. Um, uh, yeah, but at the same, but at the same time, it's interesting. I was, I was talking to my wife today about our upcoming interview and I said something about what I I love that Clifford is doing is he's involving himself in these community building um, 
endeavors or uh, events, whether it's the uh, drum circles or other types of things. And uh, I, I felt like uh, that was something in Columbus, Ohio, that I was doing more of hmm. when I was coming up because you just it wasn't about the pursuit of a quote-unquote career or making a living at music. It was just being a sponge and and involving yourself in, in everything in the community. And when you have a non-music, quote-unquote, music town like Columbus or any other place like that, a lot of times I, I get the feeling that uh, music and the visual arts and other types of arts and dance and performative arts there is a community that's more closely connected than a music business town like Nashville or maybe even Los Angeles uh, that, hey, if you want to do more playing of your instrument, then you might get to know this dance troupe. Mm -hmm. You might participate in this visual artist uh, thing or whatever. And, and that kind of artistic expression and community was something that um, I, I miss, you know, I miss that, that, that what feeds your soul in a way that that constant pursuit of career and doing gigs that make money and blah, 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 and uh, the, just the constant compromising of what, you know, what you feel called to do, I feel like is a big thing here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Because the community is growing and because of the what's attracting people to Nashville, that's changing. I mean, and you're part of that community. And it's so I find it just very inspiring to like, listen, I'm bringing this new energy to to town. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Well, I that that was, you know, when it, so so um, that was one of my reasons for wanting to to be here was it seemed like there was some room for that. And, and I think the, the communal nature is, is kind of, it's built in to, to the, you know, the West African music and drum circle community. You know, it's all about gathering and making music together. And, you know, drum circles are f basically free form and open to anybody of all experience levels. Whereas, you know, the culturally specific rhythms, you need to, you need to know what you're doing. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So, definitely um it's it's just a part of it uh for sure but but yeah the community the communal you know i feel i feel a music community here in nashville i mean not just i you know even with, you know with like the drummer lunch that's been going on for 40 some years and you know and, and i've had i've had i've gotten gigs from drummers where you know i didn't we're just talking we're just friends and they and they end up you know giving my name that sort of thing and so i that that's that's a, but but i but i hear what you're saying people can be so career focused that they maybe lose sight of the community. Is that kind of what you're saying? It, it, very much so. Uh, you know, and kind of as a side note, one of the things that you reminded me of is early in this podcast, and I've known Rich Redman since I moved here back in 2000, but like Rich Redman is like synonymous with one of the most career-focused uh, drummers and individuals yeah. that a lot of the drumming community knows of. But I, I found it very inspirational when he was on the podcast years ago, and, and he said, I'm at a place in my life that it's it's time to give back. It's time to share what I've learned mm. with everybody. And I was, and I don't know why that personally stuck out to me, but that was kind of like, oh, he's saying I've done a thing, and now it's time to share. It's He's not so covetous about the things that he's learning. And 
so I don't know that's if that's anything related, but yeah, um, I, I, I think I mean I've, I've noticed that he really gives a lot. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think he's looking for opportunities all the time to 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 be of service, and yeah, he he I, I find him to be really inspiring. We, we, I, I had him on Cliff Chats and had met him yeah. another time, uh, but yeah. Definitely. I mean, also just to put yourself out there the way that he, you know, at first I was thinking, oh, he's, he, he promotes himself a lot, but, but really he's, he's taking ownership of his, of his future. You know, he's, he's not letting someone else, he's not sitting back and waiting. He's, he's doing. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, tell me about your teaching. Um, you have a, you have a school called Sound and Rhythm Drumming School. Um, and was it important to have, a name and entity in kind of helping to build your teaching practice. Uh, I don't know why I named it that. Uh, we'll make something up. Yeah, well, my mom came up with a name. Okay, <laughs> I was cool. just like, "What's a name? What's a name? How about Sound and Rhythm?" Okay, um, it yeah. was first. It was Sound and Rhythm Drumming Studio, uh, and eventually it became Sound and Rhythm Drumming School. Uh, and partly the reason I ask that is, you know, for something that's trying to build a teaching practice or as we're building home studios, uh, you know, I hear people with calling their studios a certain name. Uh-huh. So just as an exercise, I came up with a name for my studio and I don't use it a lot. I don't promote it a, a, a lot that way. But I, I kind of wonder if that that creating this percent per, perception of uh, a um, an established entity gives people more confidence in your abilities to uh, deliver an experience. I, I don't know if it does or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I don't know. It just seemed, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really look at it as a business until really recently. Um, and I'm, I'm a lot more thinking about business a lot more now than I ever did. Um, you know, my, my goal, what I want to be able to do is to be creative and free, but, but I, but I, you know, I didn't care about money for a long time, which, which is, might sound crazy, but I, you know, I didn't care yeah, about having debt and all this stuff. And, you know, that's, that's changed for me. I also, I mean, I have a, I have an almost five-year-old, um, but, but anyway, so, you know, so, so I'm paying more attention to the, the business side and marketing, um, and that's that's become important to me. But I'm also I'm enjoying it for the most part. Uh, you know, there's ways of getting creative with it, but there's certain parts of it that aren't creative at all. Um, and what are you teaching? As, uh, what's what's kind of the makeup of your students? Oh, okay. So well, so over the pandemic, for for a good while, it was just um, I was I was continuing private lessons, and then um, I was doing a, a good number of group classes where what I would do um, they they were mostly gym bay classes and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dunoon too, the, the bass drum. But uh, I would, I would make a play along track, or sometimes I had a track already. But I often would would record the track, um, and then and I would also notate. Not always, because a lot of times I don't want I want students to use their ears first and then notate later. But um, and I want them to be in the moment, but uh, and not reading. But but anyway, so I would um, I would play the track. You know, I would demonstrate what I'm what I'm. What we're doing. So I'd say, okay, l- let me just think of an example, um, a rhythm that I learned from Mamadi Keita, Sofa. I would say, okay, um, this is how we start the rhythm. It, there's a signal that sounds like this on the djembe. It goes, bre, be, 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 ba, 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 start. Um, and also that's how we stop. Bre, be, 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 ba, 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 stop. Uh, 
And so then I would teach them an accompaniment. So there can be two, sometimes more accompaniments. And so I, I will, you know, use an overhead camera and show them, and, you know, so depending on the class, also they learn about the sounds, the primary sounds, bass, tone, and slap. Uh, but so once they've learned the accompaniment, a repeated accompaniment, a repeated accompaniment, then we'll play along the track. Everyone else is muted except for me. So they're hearing me play along. They're seeing me. They're hearing the music. And, and rec- I recommend they use headphones um, and that they hardwire or eth- connect to the Ethernet if possible. And so though and when I'm looking at everybody, their hands, they're not in sync with me. But it doesn't matter because as long as they're in sync with me on their end, that's all that matters. They're playing along with me. And this is as a result of just, you know, delay and just everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I teach yeah. private lessons, sometimes I'll actually play with the student where um, I know, sometimes I know they're exactly a quarter note off or, mm-hmm. or maybe they're an eighth note off or maybe they're a 16th note off, but I just try to keep my part and, and know. And so it's almost like African music to me. It's, it's like we're, we're off just enough that it's creating something kind of interesting. But to them, as long as I start it, they're playing with me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Does that sort of explain my approach to how I do that? Of course, of course. Are, are you teaching drum set as well? Do you have students in the quote unquote traditional sense of, you know, like, hey, this is a student in middle school and they're learning, you know, they're playing drums in concert band? Yeah, though, though I'm, I'm not really a trained classical percussionist. I, I went back to school about 12 years ago and did, you know, did the symphonic band and did the, um, you know, orchestra and played in big band and all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. but before that, I, I didn't do school band. Um, I yeah. was just, uh, you know, learn, you know, garage rock sort of, you know, learning. Yeah. 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 And, and do you find teaching, do, are you teaching children or do you, is it mostly adults? It's, it's both. Yeah. It's both. And, and, and what is your approach to that? Like, how do you, what's your um, observation of, of of teaching children compared to adults um okay let's see <laughs> uh hmm. well you know the ideal situation is they want to be there and right. you want students that want to be there and no, no matter if they're an adult or a kid and, and most likely an adult's not going to be there unless they want to be there they want to learn that yeah, exactly. um, sometimes a kid you know their parents might say you know you have to do lessons for this long but i mean my my approach for all is, you know, how can I inspire this person? I try to really think about the, you know, what, what will inspire them? You know, so I have a student who was a student in Portland and he's been with me for around 10 years. He's, he's about to, he's all, he's a senior in high school now. Um, and what I realized, I mean, what he needed may be changed, but, but it's, he, he's a really good drummer. He needed, um, he needed to know that he didn't really believe in himself um, I mean, he can do things I can't do. Um, he, he can do drum covers way better than me. Uh, but, but also, so I realized he, you know, when I was a kid, I was so interested. I was, you know, reading every modern drummer mm-hmm. and, you know, in any video that came out, I was just like, you know, in, into it. And I'll ask him like, have you heard of this drummer? No. Have you, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I realized, okay, who, who do you like? Okay. And then we'll research and we'll watch some videos of, you know, Oh, you like Dave Grohl? Okay, who was Dave Grohl 
influenced by. And then we start yeah. kind of going down that rabbit hole. Uh, so anyway, so, so, so for him, I realized, Oh, he, 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 he doesn't know about different James, you know, James Brown's drummers, or he doesn't know about yeah. parliament funkadelic or, um, uh, so, you know, he doesn't know about, you know, Paul Simon and 50 ways to leave your lover. So, so just kind of exposing him to some of those things and hopefully opening up that world to new possibilities. Of Do you music. think that's more common with, with younger generation? Like the information is so readily available that it almost seems like, well, what's the point? Where, Maybe it's taken for granted or something like that. Yeah. I think when you and I were growing up, like if somebody had a VHS tape of whatever, yeah. Down the street, like, dude, can I borrow it? Can Dennis we come Chambers? Over and watch it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those kinds of things, like, they just weren't, or uh, I had uh, Patar Yannick, uh, a great, great, great drummer, uh, on a few years ago. And gosh, I, sh- I wish I could remember the um, Eastern European country he grew up in, a uh, very small country, but like, he knew somebody in Israel that had a VHS tape of Toto playing uh-huh. live. And he and wanted so, to see like, it. He, yeah, he like they mailed it to him. He and his dad copied it and then mailed wow. it back. And he goes, I watch that thing over and over and over again. And this is probably less than 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, it reminds me of the, you know, some older musicians telling me that they, you know, they had a few records and they wore those records out. You know, they knew that record front and back, you know, and that's different yeah, even yeah. than when we grew up. You know, they, they, they learned by ear that whole record. I have a I have an old uh, Dave Brubeck uh, record I got uh, used and the drum solo, the mellowest drum solo uh, skips. Uh, they take so five, much. and I'm like, so I thought somebody just wore that part of the record out. Yeah, someone just kept. Well, <laughs> Joe Morello, man, his bass drum sound. I love that sound. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's it's just I don't know. It's so crazy, and now there's just so much information. I don't know. I just find it fascinating. Uh, j- just how, um, not to get all kind of like separating by, by generation, but how do we inspire the next generation? How do we learn from the next generation? How do we learn from young people the way they consume music and, and how can it inspire us? So it's not a one-sided thing. I mean, Definitely. there's so much to learn from it. And, 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 you know, going back to this concept of how much we learn as teachers about our own, our own playing, ourselves, um, uh, speaking of which, with, with your student, maybe as an example, or maybe any other example, um, a lot of us, and a, probably a lot of our listeners, have been introduced to drums through the drum set. Uh-huh. Uh, if, if you're kind of thinking of, of the majority of our listeners being kind of just from the Western world or whatever, and, you know, we... we I own a couple djembes, a dumbek. Uh, you know, I, I I studied music, so it's like I, I have congas, I have a kashishi. Uh, you know, I I have these things around, and and as I'm recording and playing more, some hey, could you throw some congas on this? So it's like, it's this bastardized version of me playing hand drums, but I I don't play hand drum gigs, mm-hmm. but we. We get called to do that on records. We get called to play songwriter gigs uh, in some sort of hybrid kit or, you know, everyone is, you know, getting called to play the cajon, the dreaded cajon. Yeah. Um, see, I see when people say, oh, the cajon, I'm like, yeah, I like I like playing the cajon. <laughs> right, right. Because you probably know how to do it, you know, and get good sounds out of it. So what do those of us that our primary focus is drum set, mm-hmm. what do we need to consider um, uh, about what we can take away from 
learning better technique on djembe, cajon, these these things that you teach that you bring to the table? Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's gonna it's going to improve your playing, um, your 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 sense of timing, your listening. Um, but you know, working drummers, it's it's, it's hard to to you know, add something else to your plate. But, but if you're, if you're coming up, you know, definitely, you know, taking some classes, playing in a group, taking some lessons. Um, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, but the poly polyrhythm, some sort of music that's from Africa originally, you know, Cuban music, Brazilian music. Um, when you start to learn how to keep your part going while hearing something that which sounds at first, it may sound just like totally out of left field like it has nothing to do with it eventually starting to hear how they connect and relate to each other you're you're going to be a better listener when you hear that syncopated bass part or that you know guitar line or whatever it is um or maybe it's not syncopated when you're playing simpler music you know i mean hopefully you you still enjoy that i mean i i was listening to the mtsu station the other day and there were some beautiful, you know, I guess it was country. It was just the, 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 the singing, the groove, the, the stories. But so, you know, that's one, been one of the things about moving here is, is I'm, I appreciate that more and more. Um, but, but learning that, you know, kind of like the whole bandwidth thing, you, if you can do something, you know, this crazy thing in seven and five and 13 all at the same time, then playing in four, as long as you can be disciplined to not, try to throw all that in there, playing in four is going to be easy and you can be totally open to everything going on around you as opposed to, um, as opposed to, you know, if you're playing something that's really challenging, you may not be listening as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I don't know if that explains the way I look at that, but, but that's the general idea. It's kind of, you know, just with anything, I think probably most drummers in Nashville know this and, you know, most working drummers probably know that you, you know, they're not typically playing at the very top of their ability and like the hardest, mm-hmm. they're not playing, typically playing the hardest possible thing they can play. You know, they can play way more than you see. It's, you know, and so when you see a drummer and it looks easy, you know, it may, maybe it is easy for them what they're playing and they're fully right, present. Right. Yeah. We, we've just, we've discussed that where uh, I also find it interesting because I think for a long time we, we talked about that kind of your CPU you know like mm-hmm. uh, how much bandwidth you have you yeah know, all these different analogies that talk about what you do in the practice room to prepare to do with ease and comfort uh, on the gig yeah uh, but I, I'm finding myself a somewhat reverse engineering some of that these days where I'm just spending time playing very simple mm-hmm. things, but doing it at a, but making changes at a micro level, so that um, when I do it, it's 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 it, it it comes across with the utmost confidence and and creates a, a base from the rest of the band to just feel completely comfortable with because that's ninety percent of what I'm doing is just it's it's just is more basic thing but you, you but we all can find drummers that were so inspired by mm-hmm. you know to take Steve Jordan for example of playing something that maybe uh, it would seem really simple. To a to a new uh, a new drummer who's recognizing the simplicity of the beat, but to an experienced drummer, they say there's something deep in that. There's something that's nuanced sure. that only Steve can do, and those are the things we're trying to achieve. So we talk about building up our bandwidth. We talk about those things, but and and I think when I ask that question about the benefits of understanding Henry, it's just kind of a rhetorical question. Of course, 
there is going to be benefits, but mm. kind of how you see that and uh, and understanding polyrhythms. And I'm guessing the influence of that coming out in your playing too. Yeah, um, yeah. when you're playing drum set. Yeah, for better or for worse, it probably does. <laughs> uh, and also, I I write I write music, and okay. and so it's definitely a huge influence in my writing. Um, but but I was gonna say about Steve Jordan and you because I you've posted videos, and I I know you can play. You know, you can you can play some stuff, and you know, but but you're just you're just you're kind of probably distilling the song down to its essence of what it needs. And that's being, you know, that's being a musical professional drummer. And, you know, I didn't realize until, you know, pretty recently that Steve Jordan was a heavy jazz player. I didn't even know that early on. He yeah. was, he was heavy, you know, yeah. and, and the, you know, the, he, but what he plays feels so good. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, again, it's, 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 it it goes back to that thing. I like to spend time exploring those old, you know, like the the, the jazz stuff that I used to play. Like de, like, well, I'm not getting called to do jazz because why do that? Because mm. there's just a swing element. There's a there's like there's all these musical attributes to learning all these different styles that that um again that that kind of lend itself to this larger piece of the pie which is just pocket and groove and musicality and you know it's all it's all music so we're doing those things in the practice room on the drum set but how can i because you see you know for working drummers may not have the time to add more to their plate Mm -hmm. but you know a lot of people are are busy playing full-time but they're still trying to carve out some time to woodshed or you know crack open a book and Mm -hmm. and and do some of that stuff again but to also maybe say okay today i've got a little bit of time to practice but you know what i'm not sitting at the drum set today i'm getting that conga out i'm getting that djembe out and i'm going to work on these things uh, because it's going to be just as useful to me Definitely. Yeah. I had, I had a life changing experience. I, I, I mean, it. Yeah. um, I, I was in new Orleans, I was at preservation hall and afterwards I was talking to the bass player, Walter Payton, who is Nicholas Payton. Um, his, it was his dad and I was in college. I was playing in the jam band and I, there was kind of a debate going along the band. We were all friends and it was like a six piece band, but anyway, it was something like, you know, if you, if you kind of get into the, 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 technique you're going to be it's not an age-old debate you know you're going to be rigid or whatever you're going to be this or that and i started telling him that and he's like that's bullshit he's like <laughs> he, he basically and i've heard this in other ways too but 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 I, t- I say this all the time to people he said you know just because you have the tool in your tool belt doesn't mean you have to use it but yeah. if you need it you have it and so that stuck with me and from then on I didn't, I wasn't scared of learning. I think before that I was scared of learning a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I get that. we want to have tools. We want to have the tools that we, we need when we need them, but we don't want to use the wrong, you know, we don't want to use a hammer to screw in a screw. Um, right, right. Yeah. Well, tell me, uh, I know we, we, we touched upon it at the, at the very top when we first got on here about cliff chats, but tell me about, about that. What was the inspiration for that? And who are some of the people you've had on? Okay. Yeah. Cliff Chats, it was um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started a live interview show where I would, you know, basically just people I admired, I would have them, you know, I'd interview them. And sometimes I'd have panel conversations. Uh, I had drum circle facilitators. I had um, 
women musicians who were in LA, New York, and Nashville. Um, uh, but, but the idea, the way I look at it, even though it's definitely drummer centric, um, it's not drummer centric. I had a lot of drummers on there is, is more just people living in the arts. I've had a, um, a, a screenwriter, um, Scott Rosenberg who wrote, um, uh, Con Air and things to do and Denver dead and beautiful girls. Um, and so just creative people, people living, working in the arts, how do they balance life? How do they, um, you know, li- what, yeah, just how do they, how do they do what they do? Um, yeah. and so really it's just an interest in learning more about them and then broadcasting it and sharing it so that other people could, you know, also hopefully get something out of it. Um, right. so I started at the beginning of the pandemic, but before that I would, um, I would sometimes take some lessons and I would interview the teachers. Um, so, you know, I came to Nashville before I moved here and I took a lesson with JD Blair and had an amazing lesson with him and interviewed him and, um, Chester Thompson also. And, uh, and, uh, uh, Jason Marsalis, I went down to new Orleans and, um, and Johnny Vodakovich. Um, mm-hmm. and so I would do that, but I didn't, I wasn't doing anything with those that just, you know, I had the plan of turning into a podcast, but it never happened. Um, and, and, and that's when we met. I, I yeah. Believe. Yeah. Cause five, I approached five years ago. I approached years you ago. cause I said, Hey, I have these interviews, you know, Bob Moses, rock alum. Um, yeah. I have a great one with him with some video where he's like singing and playing body percussion, man. Ah, anyway, um, if he would be a good one to have too. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Pat Matheny was just in town uh-huh. and my son is, is, um, is a junior at the school of the arts playing guitar and has fortunately, uh, fallen in love with uh, bright size life and just album. knows that record inside and out. And, um, yeah. And, so, and, and Rock Alam's uh, on there, Bob Moses. Um, he just moved to Memphis. Um, so he, so he is in the area. Uh, we're, okay. he, he's coming through Nashville. He has a gig um, in somewhere near the, near the border, um, east, east of here. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, he's, he's around. Um, That's amazing. That's we're amazing. actually, we're actually talking about making a trip. Uh, I'm going to Memphis and then going down to New Orleans and um, we might, we might make that trip together. I feel like, I feel like I need to film it if I do that. I feel like they need to do that something. That would be amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You have these as live streams, but also you have a YouTube page where these are sitting for people to consume. Yeah. So, well. so, so I'll, I'll lightly edit them and put them on YouTube, but I'm way behind on that. Uh, I'm starting to use a platform called Restream. So I, I will start to do them live mostly live. They're not all, all going to be live because schedules have gotten a little bit more challenging. Um, and both my schedule and other people's schedules. So I can then rebroadcast them as well. Mm -hmm. And I do have the intention of eventually turning them into a podcast as well. But, but you know, there's just, you know, there's only so much time. And, and so I have to figure out that I was just talking with my brother. Don't do it. It's exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I was just talking with my brother yesterday. Um, my brother has, has a business. He's in Atlanta. It's like a marketing sort of agency, but, um, but he was talking about virtual assistants. I'm like, okay, if I could figure that out, that would be the way to go. Like if you can get a good virtual assistant who can do some of those things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That would be amazing. I, I, I I think that's a big part of the reason 
why we've kind of picked a lane and stuck with it is that Zach and I have figured out this is what we want to take on. This is we want to do the best we can at this. Yeah. And people are just like, you should do this and you should do that. And and of course, I'm always like, oh, maybe I should do that. And Zach says, no, don't. <laughs> <You know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a great. It's just a great yin yang partner to have because uh-huh. it's like so we, we we balance each other out and say let's do this. And you have you have a great show and and. Yeah, I mean, you can, it doesn't you, mean you, you can't do something else, but but yeah, I think you you know the workflow to it. You know, like you said, you know how to balance that with whatever else you're doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This isn't a hundred percent of of what we do, obviously. Um, so so you you always have to strike that balance, and 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 I also f- find it fascinating. One of the things I had, I had written down, I, I didn't really expand upon this. It just I was just inspired to write this down was staying organized uh-huh. when I was making notes. To prepare to speak with you because I think about okay you're doing cliff chats you're teaching privately you're running these drum circles you're doing other events you're playing gigs uh, like how do you stay organized with all this stuff well I'm, I'm not perception? Na- I am not a naturally organized person um, <laughs> and 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 I so I used to you know I remember playing you know being in Portland playing in six bands you know at the same time yeah and and I didn't even I didn't even really know how to chart then you know how to write down the the key elements um and so I was scattered and so I think I think for me it has what I've had to learn and I'm still learning is how to how to 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 not take on as much and try to try to put more into what I am doing and so it might appear that I'm doing more than I am doing um you know, because sometimes I don't, I don't feel like I'm really doing much. <laughs> but also, well, and you also have an almost five year old. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Too. And, and I, you know, and I try to also, I've been really trying to listen to myself. Okay, do I need rest? You, you know, I'm not. If I just keep going, 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 I'm not going to be more productive. So, um, so as far as being organized, yeah, but kind of, I've started to figure out the things that are that are working. You know, I have a flow to Cliff Chats, and then every Tuesday I'm doing a show and tell and free lesson time on my Facebook page. Um, so like, I just know that those are things that are happening. So I have to kind of think ahead. Okay, who's going to going to be on Cliff Chats? Um, I have to do some research about them. Okay, what am what am I going to share? What instrument am I going to share? What am I going to talk? about, I mean, what lesson are we going to do? And that's, that's been really challenging because I don't know exactly what, who the audience is. So do I teach something really basic? Do I teach something more advanced? So I'm trying to start basic and then get into like, Oh, you can then use, do this, this, and this, you know, what are some different Mm -hmm. options? Like my last one was on shakers and then incorporating the drum set. Um, and, um, before that it was on playing the, the double paradiddle and ways of applying that on the drum set. Um, so anyway, so um, I, I'm trying also to spend time doing the things that I'm passionate about. And, you know, before the pandemic, I was, I was running around, you know, driving around all over the place. And, um, and, and even though it was, you know, it was working in music and education, it wasn't moving as much maybe towards my longer term vision as I would have liked, like, like longer term, I would like to be, I would like to be, um, a composer who's, who's, you know, having music for film or videos and that sort of thing, um, where I get to do that creating, but I mean, uh, but teaching will always be a part of what I do, but, but if I'm, if I'm so much just teaching or just playing, 
than in not working on my own thing. So, so like now I start every morning off, well, not every morning when certain priorities take over, but most mornings I start off on the piano and I just, I yeah. just work on writing. Um, so trying to, just trying to find a balance as, as, as we all are. <laughs> I, I find that fascinating, man. I, I've done uh, the exact same thing. And I think the pandemic was a hard reset for a lot of us to reprioritize uh, our lives, our relationships, uh, with people, with our uh, careers, with our with our instrument, with our passion, and uh, I did write a little bit when I was younger, but uh, that's been a newfound thing. And mm. with technology, and and just seeing the possibilities of the way the industry works around writers and things like that, and uh, you get to a point in your life when you're like, oh, I'm not a writer. I really don't know, understand a lot of that stuff. It's like, no, dude, you've been doing music for over 30 years. Uh, you know music. You mm. understand. You know, it, you may not be a quote unquote keyboard player, guitar player, or whatever. Uh, but you understand music at a level that is more than necessary mm. to uh, compose and the range of music to compose and styles uh, that's available to you to express yourself is vast. Yeah. And um, to, uh, to look at a long-term goal and vision for yourself I think is super important. Um, but it, it, I've, I've, it, we're, we're, we're looking at things in parallel ways. I find that fascinating. That, that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, cause we want to be our best selves. We want to be whole, you know, feel whole. Um, and that's, yes, you got the keyboard there. sampler, got the uh, keyboard, got two sitting on another keyboard surrounded by percussion instruments and two guitars on the wall. Of course, those aren't my guitars or my son's guitars, but nice. he's not touching them. I'm trying to. I've been writing. No, I get I, it, man. I have a, a, a late 60s Rhodes electric piano and I'm getting it all fixed up so it's buttery and nice. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly writing on that. That's amazing. Let me, let me ask you uh, kind of a one last thing is um, you mentioned something about grants. Uh, you, uh, said you got a grant to go. Uh, have you had any more experience uh, with uh, grants? Uh, that was a part of what has helped us get through the downtime uh -huh. in the pandemic. For a lot of us, it might have been our first experience uh, with that. Can you speak to that as far as anyone that is interested in working more in the arts or need funding for that kind of thing and what kind of grants are available? Well, I'm not super knowledgeable about it. Um, I've, I've, I received the regional arts and culture council grant in Portland. And then, uh, and then here in Nashville, I received the, um, thrive award. Um, and you know, they made it, they made it so easy here in Nashville. I mean, the woman Lauren, who she's not with them anymore, but um, is through Nashville, you know, Metro Nashville. Um, she she basically she basically walked me through it, and I mean, she 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 saw value in what I was proposing. Um, mm -hmm. I think I, mean, I think that's that's the main thing is is there needs to be something you need to be able to show that that this is gonna this was a community project. I, I um, yeah, you know, I I, I um, in in my neighborhood in in Antioch. Um, the Smith Springs Community Center. I taught these free community classes, and then we had a performance and drum circle at the end. We did eight class, eight weeks of classes, and then a performance, and we did that two times. Um, and so it was a community building project, and it was it was teaching and performing. It was kind of combined a lot of things. Uh, but um, yeah, she, I mean, it, it basically, it, if you can show how you're going to be able to help others, I think that's going to give you a lot. 
better um, chance of getting it. I mean, I'm not great at, do, at, at doing all those things. I mean, it's a whole, that could be a job in itself, just researching and, and applying oh, for grants. Grant writers is a, is a job. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my wife's worked in the nonprofit world uh-huh. for, for all her professional life. And so, uh, you know, applying for grants and different things like that is a big part of what she does. But I, I, I think it's important for those of us it, it, working in the arts that um, there are uh, entities that have grant money available for these things. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of times it has to be used. Yeah. And if, uh, and if you have an idea, like you have a creative project, you know, you could make that happen by by financing it with a grant. And so it's just a matter of finding that um yeah, that that where where is the money? I mean, it doesn't even have to be local to you. I mean, there are national grants. They're probably more competitive and harder to get. But but there are you know there there are, I mean there what's that what's the grant? Uh, An- Antonio Sanchez I think um, got one a few years ago, and it's basically really that's cool. Yeah, I mean I think and I think it basically like is this sort of thing where he could live off of it for at least a year or so. So I mean, think about how free you would be to create if you didn't have to worry about money. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing for, for, for almost all of us, except for a very, you know, small group of musicians that, that we have to, we have to constantly be working in some way to make money. Um, so, so, you know, if we can figure out, and that's why I think people are thinking more about, you know, uh, passive or, uh, you know, some sort of revenue stream that's, that's not, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, Just passive income. Passive income. Sure. Yeah, they, they, that's you know where we're like if you make a video and people are buying that video, you're not having to do that each time. That's you know so that sort of thing. So that's also another direction that I want to be moving. And I know a lot. There's already some people who are great at that. Um, but you know, just learning little by little and improving, kind of like we we're talking about the studio at the beginning. Um, just trying to make improvements. You know, one thing that I really need to improve on also is like how to how to like. Think like a business is like this is the budget. And this is, you know, for me, I'm just like, oh, I need that, but like I can't just buy, buy, buy. So, so that's yeah. really that's yeah. a challenge too. Um, Return on investment, for yeah, this type of thing. Are you going to use it? You know, right, right, right. Yeah, I think sometimes, and, and I'm so guilty of this. Is it? It's like just the volume of work equates success, and 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 it's like this constant pursuit, constant pursuit. And uh, n- and never really just spinning your wheels, mm-hmm. and and it's like not recognizing that there's more to it than just staying busy. Definitely, it's yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I've I've been there too, and I and I, you know I'm going to try not to get there, but it, it'll probably happen again where it gets to a point yep. where where you know I mean it, it's I mean I have had I've had plenty of times where I did not have enough work, and and right now I'm not. I'm not, you know, back to full, the, not even anywhere near to the employment that I had before the pandemic. Um, I, I was, had my best year of all, you know, years, um, as far as work financially, all that. And, you know, I, I definitely feel things coming back, but, but, you know, I don't want to go back to the same paradigm. I, I want, I want, I want, mm. that's why I, I've put so much energy into the online thing because I, I really believe in a hybrid, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I can bring, you know, I sometimes bring a master musician to town. How can I bring Bolakata Conde to town, you know, master drummer from Guinea and also have people do the online class. Cause I've been hosting him for online classes too. 
Um, so anyway, so, so that's where we're, you know, things are, people are now accepting, oh, I can take a drum lesson online and actually learn it. People, some people are still skeptical or I can do this. You know, people are, this has forced us to accept some things that were happening anyway, but you know, not everyone's accepted it, but, but, but it's sped it up. And so I'm trying to keep my foot in the in-person world and the, the online world. Exactly. I think, and also that a lot of this is, is, is stemming from our experience going through the pandemic is, again, just kind of how are we going to do And And I think for those of us that work in the, the quote unquote, the real gig economy, mm-hmm. um, it, it could be frightening. There's, there's this constant cloud that's overhanging and it's like, dude, you never know what's going to happen next month or yeah. after that. And for a lot of us, we're just, we're just kind of We've kind of grown to accept this, where there's a lot of people that just they're just not cut out for it. I've I've got some super creative, talented friends that are like, look, I, I I've got to have this regular job. Yeah, you know, I just can't I can't go with this unpredictability uh, the way you can. But when you do it so many years in a row, you kind of get used to it. That being said, uh, we're still constantly like, oh no, like you never know when this gig is going to go away or yeah. this this group of students is going to, or, or something's going to happen and Absolutely. work is going to dry up. So we're in this fight or flight, or as Kenny Arnoff likes to say, fight or fight mode. <laughs> I like um, that. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and, and the pandemic has, has, has given us an opportunity or forced us to say, you know what, that those gigs are going to go away and you're going to be okay. Uh-huh. You're still going to be okay. And it's time for you to stop thinking about what everyone else thinks. Stop thinking about what everyone else needs. And you need to start thinking about what you need and what the people that you're responsible for, uh, what they need. And um, and it's possible to live that that kind of life more uh, because that that's that's where the focus is. And that, I think, keeps us more grounded in the joy of music and the joy of creation than substituting it for just busyness. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's a lesson in the, in what Kenny Arnoff said, the fight or fight is that, is that when you are not busy, you can be proactive. And this is something I really struggled with and still do struggle with at times is, you know, there are ways of, of putting yourself out there and, and letting people know you're around and it's not like you're pleading or anything, but just that, that, you know, you know, it could be as simple as just reaching out to somebody and saying, "Hey, what's going on? What are you up to? You want to get some coffee?" Um, but uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with you fully. Um, it's, I also look at it like sort of like an ebb and flow of waves. I've mm-hmm. always found that when the way you know the 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 tide goes way out, it comes back in, and so sometimes I'm I'm too busy. Like I, I'm a little scattered because I'm too busy and sometimes I'm like, oh, I need more work. Um, and so this time has been good for me to just, you know, really try to try to focus on what can I do and, and being proactive and doing that. And that's kind of what Cliff Chats and the, the show and tell and free lessons are. Um, it's kind of a way to be proactive. So tell us, all, uh, tell us the different things that you're doing. So Cliff Chats is one of those things. Where can people find that? Yeah, so, well... It's live. Well, it's broadcast and mostly live every Wednesday at twelve thirty Eastern time, twelve thirty a.m. Uh, and that's twelve thirty p.m. Um, twelve thirty p.m. Sorry, Eastern time. Yes, eleven <laughs> uh, thirty a.m. Central time. Uh, and that's on Sound and Rhythm Drumming School Facebook page. Eventually, it'll be live on YouTube as well and Twitch. 
Um, and then uh, so that's every Wednesday. Um, and so next Wednesday, I'll talk with Jonathan Scales, who's a great steel pan player, has an amazing band. Um, he's he's collaborated with like Victor Wooten and Bela Fleck, and um, anyway, he he actually played on the my theme song, the Cliff Chess theme song. Um, nice. He and he and Rock Alam are on that. Um, but uh, so that and then on Tuesdays, I've I've just really started this, but it's uh, show and tell and free lesson drum lesson free drum lesson time with cliff um and it's basically i'll i'll bring a different usually eclectic instrument though not always i'm like uh behind me i have a i have a drum set that's um i don't know if you can see it well it, i yeah. guess we're on the anyway it's um it's an old 60s gretsch snare drum that is my bass drum um and oh, it's, cool. it's on a cradle and then i have a mondo snare that rock alarm got me um and um, so anyway, so I'll, I'll see, you know, I'll explain like, oh, look, there's this old snare that I'm using as a bass drum and there's this and that. Um, awesome. And then, and then you know, okay, and here's a groove and here's some things you can do with that groove. Um, so anyway, so there's that. And then, um, you know, I have a, I also have like a, a, I call it Djembe Basics. I have a Djembe Basics online class coming up at the end of March. Um, I'm doing, I started, I just had my first online, I mean, so my first in-person series here in Nashville, a Djembe Basics series. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah. So anyway, those are, those are, that's like the core of what I'm doing. And then, and then I'm writing, um, I've worked with, um, there's a, there's a musician town named Michael Radomsky. I might be saying his name wrong. I feel I, I should know, but anyway, he, um, he does a lot of music licensing. We've collaborated on that and that's kind of a, that's a direction I want to go more in. Um, and but for, for that, for people that want to, say, uh, check out the drum circles or participate or find you online, where can they do that? Uh, soundandrhythm.com or the Sound and Rhythm Drumming School Facebook page. Those would gotcha. be the, the mm-hmm. best places. Um, and you have and you have connections to, like, if you go to Cliff Chats, you're going to see links to the Sound and Rhythm Drumming School. Yeah. If you're on the Facebook page at Sound and Rhythm Drumming School, you're going to see Cliff Chats, a you know, way to access yeah, yeah. the different things that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been working with a woman, um, Melanie Vesey, and she's in L.A., but she's helped me a lot with that. That's another thing is just, like, getting everything to link up and all that. Um, oh, she, my gosh. She, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. I just want to play drums. Yeah, I know. It, <laughs> but but you know, I noticed that that over, I was so I I felt like a latecomer to music in a lot of ways. So I felt like I just had to focus on that, and it was really rigid. And as I've started to kind of branch out into different things and had more of a relaxed attitude, I think those other things have got being less rigid about it has helped me in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's really amazing. Well, man, I, thank you for having me on Cliff Chats. Last well, thank week. you for having I me on really, Working Drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is uh, it's it's been interesting. It's been a long time coming to to have you on to talk about. It. It's been fascinating to kind of watch the different things that you've been doing over time. Um, I really so appreciate the things that you're doing in this town. Oh, thank you. Um, just this, uh, it it just brings me great joy that that, that we're, we're always kind of keeping things grounded in in art in music in creation in uh, just this cultural exchange that um, as drummers we have the joy of experiencing because of this 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 broad language that we uh, forget about it's like my gosh drumming it's like it's in everything it's in everywhere mm-hmm. I mean, well we'll have to we'll have to jam sometime or come out to a, an event Dude. Or- 
That would be amazing. <laughs> I, I I used to do some hand drumming and some hand drumming groups uh, in Columbus, and I got so much out of it. And and just the joy of even just these ostinato patterns with a large sound mm-hmm. just was so joyous. Uh, it, I mean, just sorry to overuse the word, and um, just it was really really great. Um, and and not even thinking about how will this help my drum set playing. Yeah, just just fun. Like just fun. Yeah, just fun. <laughs> Absolutely. But man, Cliff, thanks so much, Ed, man. Thank you. And um, uh, we'll be in touch for sure. Okay. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. All right, bye. Thanks, man. See ya. Bye. So there you have it. My conversation with Clifford Kaufman. Uh, it was great to catch up with him. A few weeks ago, he had me on his Cliff Chats. It was a roundtable with uh, those of us that are creating content. And it was a lot of fun to just talk about the process and things like that. So I'm not sure if that's out quite yet, but uh, keep an eye out for that if you're interested in what he produces on Cliff Chats. Stay tuned next week. Zach Albetta will be your host. He's going another round with his buddy Quentin Q. Robinson. Uh, Q's been on tour recently, uh, but he is working on a home studio. So I think there's a lot of new things to unpack with Q. So he's going to have him on again. So stay tuned for that. But for now, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, Stay safe, stay sane, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.